Welcome to First Church. Our mission is to love Jesus and love like Jesus, and we're so glad that you're here. And right now, we have family joining us from Stone Canyon, as well as others who are joining us online. So if you would, take a moment, welcome them into our time of study here today. Now let me just see, by a show of hands at all of our campuses, how many of you guys as kids enjoyed playing with Legos? Anybody likes playing with Legos? Yeah, I did as a kid. In fact, I couldn't wait for Alex to get to the age when he would play with Legos because I wanted to play again with them. And so let me see, as adults, how many of you still like to play with Legos? All right, good number of you. That's what I thought. Well, what if I were to hand you this bag of Legos and I said, in this bag are all the pieces to make a vehicle from a famous, well-known movie. You've got everything that you need in this bag, but I'm not going to tell you what the vehicle is. I'm not going to tell you what movie it's from. I'm not going to give you instructions at all. I'm not even going to give you a picture of what the vehicle looks like. I'm just going to hand you the pieces, and I want you to build it. Now, do you think you could do it? Now, we've got some pretty smart people in our church. Someone over there thinks that he can, but we've got some pretty smart people in our church, but I doubt if you would build this vehicle exactly as it was designed to be built. Now, in case you're wondering, this is an X-Wing fighter from the movie Star Wars, and I asked some of our staff members to build it this week, and they didn't even have to like think twice about doing it. I was like, would you care to build some Legos? You're like, yeah, sure. So I gave them these pieces, but I also gave them the instruction manual, and this is what they built. If you want to take a look at it up on the screen, you can see they put it together, and just a moment of total transparency, we had a blast playing with this in the office this week. Just want to let you know, it was a lot of fun. In fact, we had so much fun that I didn't want to tear it back apart to put the pieces back in this bag, but they reassured me, those two staff members, they said, don't worry, we'll build it again. I think they had a lot of fun doing it. But you know, I bring these pieces up here for a reason, to prove a point, actually. You can have all the right pieces, but without the right instructions, without the right picture, you're probably not going to build something exactly as it was intended, designed to be built. And that's true not just about Lego pieces. It's also true about the most foundational relationship that we have, and that's marriage. See, we're starting a new series today called Level Up, and what we want to do is talk about God's design, God's picture for marriage, and for that matter, all relationships that we have. And I don't have to list studies or quote research or stats or anything like that to tell you what you already know. A lot of marriages in our culture today they're in trouble. They're not what they should be. And I think there's a reason for that. I think most of us, or many of us at least, were set up for failure because we were given a picture of marriage that wasn't exactly God's picture of marriage. Or maybe we weren't given a picture at all. And what we need to understand is a biblical truth that is all throughout Scripture, and it's this. Our view of marriage determines how we do marriage. Because marriage... It's God's idea. 
And if we have the wrong view of marriage, the wrong picture of marriage, then our marriages are not going to turn out the way he intended them to turn out. Let me give you an example. I've got a picture up on the screen of a couple. Their names are Dudley and Georgie Mae Tapp. You may not know them. You probably don't know them, but I do. They're my grandparents. They're my mom's mom and dad. You can tell by the UK ball cap, right? You know right away they're somehow connected to me. They've been married for 67 years, and I have to say they are more in love today than what they were when they first got married. And anybody who knows them knows that. They met in the first grade. They got married right out of high school. And they've had some rough patches, some hard times. But they have continued to love each other, and their love for one another has grown over the years. And I mean it when I say they love each other more today than what they did 67 years ago. And let me tell you why. My grandma's had some health issues. My grandpa has too. But my grandma's had some serious strokes, and so she's not able to communicate that well, and in fact, she's lost um, some of her mobility and so forth, if you can't tell from that picture. And so she was in the hospital not too long ago because of some of these issues, and my grandpa had just gotten out of the hospital. So he was sent home, and the day that he came home, she went in the hospital, about an hour away from where they live. And so some of my family members decided to stay with my grandpa because he needed around-the-clock care. My mom and dad, they lived closer to the hospital where my grandma was taken, so they volunteered to stay with her. But the problem was the two didn't get to see each other. They weren't even able to visit because of their current health situation. And so one morning, my grandpa, he's at home an hour away from my grandma, and he gets up, and he tells my aunt, who happened to be staying with him that day, I'm going to go see your mother. And my aunt looked at him and said, Daddy, no, you're not. You're not able to drive, and none of us are going to drive you to go see her. And he said, you don't have to worry about that. I've already arranged for a, a ride. He had called somebody to come pick him up. And my aunt looked at him and said, Daddy, you can't go. You've got doctor's appointments today. He said, I've already called and canceled them. I'm going to see your mother. And so his ride showed up. He got in the car. He drove an hour away to go see my grandma. And when he arrived in the hospital room, my dad happened to be there in that moment. And my dad said he walked in, and my grandma, she'd have been poor spirits. She wasn't eating anything, just didn't want to be there. And as soon as my grandpa walked in the hospital room, my grandma's face lit up. He came and sat on her bedside. And that, my dad said they started to hug one another. They kissed all over each other's faces, which is kind of gross and sweet all at the same time. But still, they kissed all over each other. It was one of those like Nicholas Sparks notebook moments, you know. And my dad said my grandma was in such a great mood the rest of the day. She ate her lunch. She ate her supper that night. She was in great spirits the rest of the day. And he was excited too, my grandpa, because they just loved being around one another. And if you were to ask them about their love, they would say their love has grown over the years. In fact, that picture that I put up just a second ago, if you want to put it back up there, that picture was taken just a couple weeks ago. We've had to put my grandma into a nursing home. And so my grandpa went to see her after they uh, placed her in this nursing home. And they sat beside one another and held hands. And my mom sent me the picture. Of course, I wasn't able to be there with them. But my mom sent me this picture on her phone with the message underneath, the text message that said, pure happiness. Because they are the most happy when they are with one another. And my question is, how do you have that? How do you get to that point? How do you reach that level? Because I haven't been married 67 years. I've married almost 11 years. There's a big difference. And I want a relationship like that. I want a marriage like that. And I'm sure you do as well. How do you achieve that? How do you get to that point? Because we all know not all marriages are like that. 
Take, for example, this guy. I'm not sure if you've heard of him or not. His name is Lawrence Ripple. He's 71 years old, and just a few years ago, he entered a bank in Kansas City, Missouri at gunpoint. He held the clerk at gunpoint and told the clerk to put a bunch of money in this duffel bag he had with him. The clerk did what he said, put the money in the duffel bag, and then he zipped it up and he told the clerk with a gun in her face, call the police now. And then he went over to the lobby of the bank. He sat down in a chair and waited for the police to arrive. The police got there. They walked right up to him. He stood up. He dropped his gun. He dropped the bag of money, put his hands out willingly for them to handcuff him. They handcuffed him, put him in the police cruiser, took him to the police station. No fight whatsoever. And when he got there, one of the officers asked, Mr. Ripple, how come you didn't put up a fight? How come you didn't try to run? How come you didn't try to escape after robbing this bank? And he looked at the officer and he said, I would rather go to jail than go back home. He did not want to go back home to see his wife. And I'm not sure what the reason was, but he didn't want to go back home to see his wife. Now, we can laugh at that, but we all know there are a lot of marriages that are in trouble right now and it's not a laughing matter. I don't have to quote stats and studies and research to tell you what we all know deep down. A lot of marriages are not where they should be right now. So how do we make sure we don't get to the point of Mr. Ripple, but we have a marriage like my grandparents and others who are like them? How do we get to that level? Well, I know what my grandpa would tell you because he's told me. He would say that for the 67 years of their marriage, there's been, there's been one constant factor And it's that they've kept God at the center of their marriage and at the center of their family. That's their secret. He would openly tell you that. Because like I said a little bit earlier, there's this huge truth that we need to keep in mind that's been forgotten in our culture today. And it's this, marriage is God's idea. It's not my idea. It's not your idea. It's not Dr. Phil's idea or Oprah's idea. It's not the media's idea. It's not our government's idea. Marriage is God's idea. And every single time that Jesus is asked about marriage, he always goes back to the creation account. You know, Adam and Eve in the garden. He goes back to that first marriage, and that lets us know something. Jesus believed marriage was God's idea. It was instituted. It was started by him. And so if marriage is God's idea, then it's a good idea. It's a really good idea. And it's not just good for those who decide to get married. It's also good for a society in general. Marriage is at the foundation of any healthy society. And before God ever established a government, a kingdom, a monarchy, or even a law... God established marriage. It's sacred, and it's at the foundation of human civilization. And that's why we here at First Church feel it's so important that we go through a series like this. Because it doesn't matter if you're married, single, divorced, engaged, or anything else. Understanding God's design for, God's design for marriage is important. It will strengthen our own marriages if you are married, It will strengthen the society and the culture that we live in if we have healthy marriages and if God's view of marriage is on display. And it will strengthen a church. Because God's design for marriage, when it is displayed, it teaches people about God's character. And not just that, it shows us how to have healthy relationships in every other area of life. But even with that said, I know a series like this can be a little uncomfortable for some people. 
Well, let's just be honest, it can be a lot uncomfortable for some people. Some of you listening to this message right now, you're single and you don't want to be. You desperately want to be married. But that hasn't happened yet. Others of you listening to this message, you've been married in the past. But something has happened and you're not married anymore. And there's a lot of pain and a lot of hurt that goes along with that. Some of you in the room today or listening to one of our campuses, your heart is starting to beat a little bit faster right now because you are married, but your marriage isn't good. Maybe some people know about it. Maybe you've even sought counseling and some outside help, and right now nothing seems to help. Maybe you haven't told anybody. Maybe only you and your spouse know. But you know deep down things aren't right. And so a series like this, a sermon like this, can make you feel a little nervous. I get it. I just want to let you know whatever your situation is right now. We as a church, we love you, and we are here for you. And the point of this series is not to exclude anyone. It's not to isolate anybody. It's not to leave anybody out. It's not to shame anyone. It's not to guilt anybody. It's not to condemn anyone. Your identity, your value, your meaning is not wrapped up in your marital status. Your identity, your value, your meaning is based on your relationship with Jesus Christ. And you can be a whole and complete person in Him and Him alone. In fact, He's the only way for you to be a whole and complete person. So I just want to get that out there right now. This series is not to condemn anybody, nor is it to isolate anybody. This series is simply meant to present God's view of marriage, His picture of marriage. Because we believe God has a very different picture of marriage and relationships, for that matter, than our world has. And when we understand His design for marriage, it will not only help the existing marriages in our church, it will also help future marriages And it will help shape the culture and the society that we live in today. Because God is the designer, the creator of marriage. So that means he's ultimately the only expert of marriage. I'm just going to tell you right off the bat, I'm not an expert in marriage. I think I have a pretty good marriage. I really like who I'm married to a lot. But I'm not an expert in marriage. And Allison will tell you that as well, okay? I'm not an expert and really none of us are. God is the only expert in marriage. So that's why we're going to turn to him during this series. Because only when we do marriage his way, as well as our other relationships in life, will our marriages reach their full potential. And so what we're going to do as we begin this series is we're going to look at the very first marriage. The marriage between, marriage between Adam and Eve, which took place in the Garden of Eden and the creation account, because that's when God first established marriage, and he established it, he instituted it, before sin ever entered the world and messed everything up. So we're going to go back to the very beginning to see God's intent for marriage, what he wanted it to be. So if you have your Bibles or Bible app on your phone or tablet, give our first church app, you can follow along there. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 2 as we begin this series, and we'll get there here in just a second. And in Genesis chapter 2, what we see is the lead up to the very first marriage between Adam and Eve. And at this point, Adam has already been created along with all the plants and the animals and stuff like that, but Eve hasn't been created yet. And that's where we're going to pick up the story, Genesis 2, verse 18. And the Bible says this, 
The Lord God said, it is not good for the man, speaking of Adam, for the man to be alone. I will make a suitable helper for him. So right off the bat, we see something very interesting. And I want to pause here for a second before we go any further. Because what we see is the very first time in the history of creation when God says something isn't good. See, up until this point, over and over again, as God has created things, he has said over and over again, it is good, it is good, it is good. You go back and you read that creation account in Genesis, and when he created the sky and the stars, and he created the the waters and the land, and he created animals and plants and all that good stuff, every single time God said, it is good, it is good, it is good. And then when he created mankind, he said, it is very good, because the human race was the crowning jewel of his creation. He said, it's very good. But the first time that God ever said something isn't good is when he saw man alone. And that tells us something. Loneliness, it is our original weakness. We are not at our best when we're alone. And God knows that. And that's why as you continue to read scripture and the history of the human race, what you find is over and over again, God telling us, you don't need to be alone. Whether you're married or not, you don't need to be alone. You need to find people who will do life with you. People who will hold you accountable. People who will challenge you. People who will lift you up. People who will encourage you. People who will be a spiritual partner with you through life. You need to have godly friendships. You need to have godly companionship. You need to have godly relationships. You need people to come alongside you as you live life. And that's why in Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 10, it says, Two are better than one. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Meaningful relationships are not just important. They're essential to our spiritual, our emotional, and our physical well-being. And that's why we believe the community of believers, the church, is so important. Because whether you're married or not, whether you have family members that are there for you or not, you can have a church family that surrounds you through life, that can help you and support you and guide you, that can pour wisdom into you. And you might think, in a church this size, how am I ever going to get to know somebody? That's why we believe so much in our group's ministry here. Because you can join a life group and get to know people. And maybe you join one life group and it's not for you. Well, join another one. That's all right. In a life group, you get to know people on a personal level, people who are going to do life with you. I mean, just this past Wednesday night, my life group met, and we played some games. We decided to do something a little different than just our typical Bible study, and we decided to do some games together. We played some minute-to-win-it games that a couple in our group made up, and it was hilarious watching us try to do these games together, and it was fun, and nobody was worried about what anybody else was thinking about them. We were just enjoying one another's company, and that's a group that Allison and I were doing life with. God wants that for you, and we want to help you find that here at First Church. That's why we believe groups are so important. But as you read on through the Genesis account, what we discover is that at the pinnacle of all human relationships and the place where the greatest intimacy can be achieved is in the exclusive relationship between one man and one woman in marriage. And so let's read on Genesis 2, verse 20. And the scripture says this, if you want to follow along with me. It says, So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. 
But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Well, in this first marriage, there are a few things that stand out to me that I think reveal God's design for marriage, what he intended for us in marriage, and I want to share them with you. And the first thing that stands out to me is a word. It's the word helper. I'm sure you saw it. The Bible says that no suitable helper was found for Adam, so God brought Adam a wife, Eve. And I love that terminology where it says God brought Eve to Adam. God brought the man a wife. I think that's the equivalent to God the Father walking Eve down the aisle. You know, you wonder today why a father walks his daughter down the aisle and gives her away to her future husband. I think it's found right there in Scripture. God gave the first wife to the first husband. I think that's a beautiful picture. But I also know that when some people read this passage, they don't like that word, helper. Because they see that word helper as a degrading term or a devaluing term. And they just don't like it because they see it as demeaning. But it's not. It wasn't meant to be in any way. See, don't import a bunch of modern-day language to helper which doesn't apply to God's original intent. This word helper, this is the only place in Scripture it's used. This Hebrew word is actually used over and over again in the Old Testament. And you know who who this word is mostly applied to? God. God is called the helper of mankind, of the human race, over and over and over again. This is not meant to be a demeaning or a devaluing word at all. It's used of God at times. I love James E. Smith's definition of this word in his commentary on the Pentateuch. Dr. Smith taught for years at Florida Christian College. And listen to what he says in his commentary on this word. He says, the implication is that the woman about to be created would be man's helper. The Hebrew word does not connote inferiority. She was not to be man's servant. The word helper is elsewhere used of God himself. He is man's ultimate helper. The word points to strength and wisdom. So this certainly does not mean that women in any way are less than men, but that a wife, she provides a husband with a certain strength he does not have on his own. And I think the Bible teaches that the opposite is also true. You see, here's the first thing that we can see about God's design for marriage. God designed marriage to be a relationship where husband and wife compliment one another rather than competing with one another which is what our culture tells us we need to be doing by the way rather than competing with one another God says husband and wife they're to compliment one another in other words they're to play to each other's strengths that's why in Genesis 1 verse 27 the creation account it says God created mankind in his own image male and female He created them. Now pay careful attention to that. God created the human race and he divided them into two distinct categories, male and female. 
and the distinctiveness and the differences between men and women were God's idea. God's idea from the very beginning, before sin ever entered the world. The distinctiveness and the differences between the two, God's idea. And what I'm getting ready to say might be a little bit controversial in some extreme circles, but it's what the Bible teaches, and it's what's true. Yes, men and women are equal in God's eyes, but that doesn't mean they're not different. Men and women are equal in God's eyes, absolutely, but that doesn't mean they're not different. And if God created men and women different, then the differences between the two are good, and they should be celebrated. If God created these differences, then we should see them as good. We shouldn't try to hide from them or ignore them or act like they're a problem. We should see them as good because that's how God made us. And we should celebrate these differences. And I know that might get me in trouble in some circles, but it's reality. Men and women are wired differently, and that's a good thing because we need each other's perspective. In any attempt to disregard or ignore the differences between men and women leads to chaos and turmoil and dysfunction, not just in a marriage, but also in society. But the more we value and the more we honor the differences in the way that God created us, the better life works. And I could stand up here and spend hours quoting different research and studies that have been done proving exactly what I'm talking about, that men and women are wired differently, that we, we are different. And I could talk about the biological differences and the psychological differences and the mental differences and the emotional differences and, and just go on and on and on. But all I would be doing is telling you what deep down we all already know. Deep down, we all know men and women are different. And that's not a bad thing. Because when the two come together and they complement one another the way that God intended, they create something that neither one of them could have created as individuals. Guys, marriage isn't a contest. Husband and wife, they're on the same team. And both genders bring to marriage something that the other doesn't have on their own. And early on in my marriage, Alice and I decided we were not going to dwell on each other's weaknesses because we have them. I have a whole lot more than she does. And again, if she was up here, she would tell you just that. I have many more weaknesses than she has. But we decided early on we were not going to dwell on each other's weaknesses. We were going to play to each other's strengths. Because we know that in a marriage, we're here to lift one another up. Part of lifting one another up is sometimes holding each other accountable and stuff like that. But in the end, the point is to lift each other up. We weren't, marriage wasn't designed for us to compete with one another, but to complement one another. And then the second thing that stands out to me in this first marriage comes from verse 25. If you want to look at that verse, when the Bible says, The man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Now, just imagine that for a moment, no shame. We bring shame with us everywhere, don't we? I mean, we bring shame and guilt with us everywhere. And I think the reason why we do is because we live in such a judgmental culture. But God designed marriage to be a relationship of unashamed intimacy, 
Our passage talks about husband and wife becoming one flesh. And I think we all know what that means. I mean, we're adults here. We know what that means. We know that this is a biological thing, but it's far deeper than that. It's also a spiritual, mental, and emotional union that can only happen in the context of marriage between one man and one woman. It's a level of intimacy that can only be experienced within the confines of marriage. And when you guard that intimacy and protect it in marriage, you experience what our world doesn't want you to experience. You experience what our world doesn't want to tell you about. You experience the blessings and the promises of God in your marriage, in your family. See, the first couple, Adam and Eve, they didn't have to hide anything from one another. They didn't have to hold anything back. They didn't have to put on a show. They didn't have to pretend. There was no pretense. They had pure, undefiled, and unashamed intimacy. And that's what marriage was intended to be. Marriage was intended to be a safe place where we can be totally transparent and not fear rejection, where we feel no shame and find complete acceptance. Guys, my wife Allison, she knows me better than anyone. She knows all my issues and my problems. She knows all my flaws. She knows all my scars. She knows me better than anyone. She knows things about me that no one else on earth knows. And yet she doesn't run from me. She's not repulsed by me. She should be, but she's not. She doesn't run from me. You know why? Because we love each other in spite of all those things. We have that total intimacy to where we can be ourselves around one another and not have to fear rejection. But instead, we find acceptance. And honestly, I think that's what makes marriage fun. I think the reason why for some people marriage is such a chore and such a burden is because they don't have that unashamed intimacy that God intended them to have. You know, there are times that Allison will laugh at me, and not because she's making fun of me. She does that occasionally too, but she will laugh at me because she finds me funny. She genuinely finds me funny, and other people don't. I'm not that funny. I know I'm not. And there are times that we'll be in a crowd of people, a group of people, and no one else is laughing at what I'm saying, but she's cracking up because she gets me. She understands me, and I love that. And there are also times when I do some dorky things. I can be a dork at times. Uh, wise, if your husband's going to be a dork, no, I'm just kidding. Don't raise your hand. But, you know, I can be a dork at times and she will look at me and just smile and laugh and she gives me this look like yeah I know you're a dork but you're my dork you know and I just love that I love those moments because we can just be us and everybody else no matter who they are even my best guy friends in the world there are times when I'm trying to act a certain way but around Allison I can just be me and it's a beautiful thing it's a beautiful thing to have someone where you can be totally naked with physically emotionally spiritually mentally whatever and feel no shame but find total and complete acceptance isn't that a beautiful thing and that's what God intended and I don't know why anybody would want to mess with that design because what type of God comes up with something like that a really good God and I don't know why anybody would want to mess with his design, but yet that's exactly what our enemy wants. Our enemy wants to rob us of that unashamed intimacy that God intended for us to have in marriage. 
He wants to rob us with that intimacy with things like pornography, extramarital affairs, or premarital sex. And so if you're married today, let me just challenge you. I'm going to say this because I love you. Guard that intimacy with your spouse at all costs. Maybe you've messed that up in the past, but it's not too late for you to come back. From this day forward, guard that intimacy at all costs. Because there's something special in the marriage that you need to preserve. Both of you need to preserve together. And if you're not married yet, guard that intimacy for your future spouse. Guys, whether you're married or not, do not unbutton or unzip any article of clothing that is not on someone you're married to. Okay? Because when you do, you rob the marriage of what God intended it to have. Now, like I said, if you've already crossed those lines, you can come back. There is grace for you. There is healing for you. And God wants to give you restoration. And you can have that intimacy again in your marriage. So if you've already crossed those lines, it's never too late to come back and start guarding that intimacy now. But you will never experience the type of relationship, the type of intimacy that your soul longs for unless it's within a committed marriage relationship. And I'm just going to let you in on a little secret. Our culture, our society, they don't have a clue what they're doing when it comes to relationships. I mean, just watch The Bachelor or The Bachelorette, and you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Follow TMZ and see what the celebrities are doing and their marriages and their relationships. Our culture doesn't have a clue what they're doing. And that's why we need to follow God's design. Because in His design, He intended us to have unashamed intimacy. And who would want to mess with that? One reason why I think God designed marriage this way is because he wanted our marriages to reflect the love that he has for all of us. God knows everything about us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And yet, he isn't turned off by us. He isn't repulsed by us. He doesn't run from us. Instead, he loves us in spite of us. And on a very different level, I believe that that's why the church should offer people acceptance. Because it's interesting to me in the, in the New Testament that Paul, he uses marriage to illustrate the ministry of the church. In Ephesians 5, verse 31 through 32, Paul writes, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. Heard that before? And the two will become one flesh? It's straight out of Genesis. Then Paul goes on to say, This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and his church. It's interesting to me that Paul compares the ministry of the church to a marriage relationship. When people come here, They should not fear rejection. Now, it doesn't mean that we're not going to teach them the truth and Jesus isn't going to change them. That's the hope. Just like in a marriage, hopefully over time, because of your marriage, you become a better person together. And so when people get united with the church, they become more like Christ, and Christ does change them. But when people first show up here, they should not receive judgment. But they should see the love and the acceptance of the grace of God. And so we want to be a church that offers to the world what maybe they're not finding anywhere else, where they find, where they find acceptance and help, not rejection. But there's one more thing I wanted to point out about God's original design for marriage, and it's this. God designed marriage to be a lifelong journey we do 
with him. See, when Jesus references the first marriage in Genesis, he tells us what happens when two people get married. And in Matthew 19, 6, it says, So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. I want you to notice two things. First, the two become one flesh. We've already talked about that. Marriage was meant to be a lifelong commitment, a lifelong connection, a lifelong journey together. But I want you to notice something else too. Jesus says, what who has joined together? What God has joined together, let no one separate. See, marriage is a lifelong covenant relationship that you make with God at the center. And if we want to keep our marriages healthy, he's got to remain at the center. If God isn't at the center of your marriage, your marriage is going to be out of place. Jamie Snyder is a good friend of mine. He's written several books. He preaches at Lakeside Christian Church. And I heard him say one time this, marriage is a dance designed for three, for one man, one woman, and one Savior, Jesus. I love that image. Years ago, I read Bob Russell's book, Marriage by the Book. Some of you may have read it as well. And the one thing that stood out to me that I've never forgotten from that book was an image he used of a triangle. He said that marriage is supposed to function like a perfect triangle. And he said, you put God at the head, and then you put husband and wife on the sides. And here's the thing. The differences between a man and a woman, a husband and wife, they're too broad for you to bridge them on your own. What you need to do is you need to get closer to God. And as you get closer to God, it will be inevitable that you will get closer to one another. So as a husband seeks God and as a wife seeks God together, the result is you get closer to one another. That's how it works. And if you just try to get close to your spouse without first getting close to God, it's not going to work. See, when you put God at the center of your marriage, your marriage will ultimately get past your past and will get over your differences. And I need to let you know something that goes against what our culture teaches, but it's so true and it's what the Bible teaches. Your deepest needs are met through your maker, not your mate. Let me say that again. Your deepest needs are met through your maker, not your mate. So many marriages in our society today fail because people are looking to their spouse to fulfill their deepest needs and that never works. Don't put your spouse up on a pedestal. Don't put those unrealistic expectations on your spouse. Don't ask your spouse to do something for you that only God can do. Instead of putting your spouse up on a pedestal, picture you and your spouse on the same platform where you're both moving in the same direction, where you're both moving closer to God, following Him together. Because as you move toward God, you will move closer to one another. Your deepest needs will not be met by your mate, but by your maker. That's why it's so important to move closer to Him, and as you do, you'll move closer to one another. I mentioned my grandparents, Dudley and George May Tapp, earlier. And the past, this past time when we were in Kentucky and we got to visit family, we went to see them. And so this was before they were in the hospital and got to spend some quality time with them. And, of course, they love seeing my kids. They're great grandkids. And as we were getting ready to leave, I hugged my grandma goodbye, and then I went into the kitchen where my grandpa was, and I talked to him for a little bit. And he started to choke up because of all the stuff they were going through. And I just looked at him. I said, Grandpa, I love you guys. And no, I'm praying for you. I wish I could be here more often, but I'm praying for you every single day. And he looked at me and he said, 
Chad, just keep on doing that. Because right now, that's all we have left. And then he smiled and he said, and that's okay, because God is all we need. And I looked at him. I said, Grandpa, it's going to be okay. Because <laughs> I'm looking at this frail man. And that's not the memory I have of him. I mean, my, my grandpa's always been this strong farmer who is tall and held his shoulders back. And he's hunched over and so frail right now. And my grandma's so sick. And he looked at me and he said, Chad, I pray every single day that your grandma would die first. That God would take her first. And then he would take me a week later. And he said, I want to go a week later so I know she gets a good funeral. <laughs> and I didn't know what to say, so I was like, Grandpa, don't talk like that. And he said, Chad, we've been living for Jesus our entire lives, our entire marriage. Why would we not want to go on and live with him for all eternity? It is okay. There's more to life than what we see right now. He said, we're ready. And when he told me that, something hit me that I already knew, but it hit me in such a bold way. That's the reason why their marriage is so healthy. That's the reason why they've lasted 67 years. That's the reason why they love each other more today than on their wedding day. It's because even with all the mistakes they've made and the problems they've had and the issues they've had to deal with, God has been at the center of who they are. He's been at the center of their marriage. And I want to let you know something today. No matter where you are, God wants the same for you. No matter if you're married or not, God wants you to find value and meaning in Him. And so today, if your marriage is not going the way it should be, you can take it to the next level by together focusing on Him. If you're single or divorced or widowed or whatever else, no matter what situation you're in, God wants to give you that hope, and it starts with finding your meaning and your value in your maker. And together, when he is at the center of our lives, the center of our marriages, we can all level up. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for today and for this time we've had to meet together as your people, and Father, to open up your word and to study your design for marriage. We're gonna keep talking about this in this series. And I know that some of the things that I said today and some of the things we're going to talk about in this series may make some feel uncomfortable, but Father, they are your truth. And so we at First Church, we just want to speak the truth in love. And I just pray that as we do present your truth in love, that nobody will feel condemned, but that Father, you can prick the hearts of those who are listening and we can together take our marriages, take our lives to the level that you want them to be at. We just love you so much. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. It's in your son's name, Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.